Hello everyone, my name is Daniel and welcome to my podcast. Uh, if I haven't done it in the previous episode, let's, let me repeat again why I did this uh, podcast and most of the episode I've done so far. Um, all of it is because I'm uh, passionate about uh, science in general, mostly astronomy and physics as well and um, all what I'm trying to do is to uh, try to let out some of my ideas about uh, how things work in in space and uh, in the things surrounding us. Uh, Today I'm gonna do another science science news podcast Um, and this is for last month, the month of May and i'm just gonna keep doing this until i finish um, how to say um until i finish uh, my work on what is actually gravity dark matter dark energy all this stuff because i don't want to do any other episode about these things to try to explain the old way when after i done my research and some of my understanding and listening to other scientists as well uh, i have my own way of understanding these things especially the how things come to life how planets form how black holes form and i'm gonna try to redo all this in the near future but first of all i need to finish uh, my presentation and when I'm gonna finish that I'm gonna upload it also on YouTube because I'm trying to do visual as well but also I'm gonna upload it on my podcast so it's gonna be on both uh, I'll say on both ways you can check it out but um, I, I'm doing mostly news now because um, like I said I don't want to try to explain things like the old way when in my head is just this growing idea that actually things happen from a different reason and are different forces around which uh, are really obvious which make you know uh, let's say make planets come uh, together and stars and galaxies and all this and uh, after i'm gonna finish my uh, theory let's say because this is what i'm trying to do i'm gonna try to break it down uh, like um, in exactly what it is and mostly on my podcast but for uh, for today let's stick with the news so these are the news from the month of may and please keep in mind i just um, i choose the news from websites uh, and i've seen this news you know during the month in my um, let's say in my news feed but um, i choose this news uh, I, I i don't know exactly the content so i'm gonna read some of the content as well and then i'm gonna give some of my explanation and ideas as well about all of this so i hope you enjoyed so far because i've done a couple of these uh, uh, science month news podcast so i'm gonna keep on doing this because in my opinion is really interesting and uh, i see new interesting stuff coming out every month so it's good to read about the 
these things and also try to explain and mostly see where these things gonna get us in the future first thing first let's start with james webb telescope which i'm pretty sure most of you out there who are really into science you know uh just reach perfect alignment i've seen some of the let's say photos the nasa release uh, and is looking really good to be honest i mean i don't really understand few how to say it's like it's it has some kind of um don't know some kind of flare on the side is like you know the star flare uh, usually you know when you look with your eye you can see that kind of star shape when you look at the light at night time you can see that kind of flare i don't know why the telescope has this but i'm guessing we'll find out soon enough they say this fully aligned and soon um soon they i'm guessing they're gonna start uh, releasing images not just teaser image you know so let's see because what i saw from teaser you know image keep in mind uh, james webb is infrared telescope so it can penetrate to the uh, stardust which it's uh, in in my opinion all around us this stardust mostly hydrogen so it's penetrating this and you can see the um, what is actually behind so you can see like more galaxies more stars more just more data than hubble but uh, it's like i said i don't know about those stars flares you know those things a little bit but we'll see we'll see in the when they finally release uh, images you know like real images where you can study and it's not just one there are many so we'll see about that now another interesting uh, news and uh, i'm guessing i i i'm pretty sure you saw you saw this because it was all over the news uh, even in the media not just on the online like facebook insta or all of this uh was on tv as well we had our first image of our galaxy black black hole heart uh, as you know the horizon telescope yes uh did um so-called image of a further you know uh, um, black hole and now from 2019 they took all these images with all the telescope around uh, our planet and they put together the image of the black hole uh, which is uh, the heart of our uh, milky way so i'm gonna read now located 26,000 light years away sagittarius a is a gargantuan tier in space-time they call this but this is uh, four uh, million times the mass of our sun and 40 million miles across that's 60 million kilometers across so the event like i said the image was captured by the event horizon telescope a network of eight synchronized radio telescope placed in various location around the world so um yes was a really interesting thing and it's quite different from the last we 
which they did in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And um, our black hole seems to have like a lot more gas around it or something like that. Or it's, it's really interesting. But um, keep in mind, uh, like I said in the beginning, I'm going to try not to explain any of this uh, uh, any of these black holes phenomenals because I'm working on something and uh, uh, I'm trying to put my ideas down so then maybe the explanation is much easier than it seems. Now, another interesting news which baffled me is for uh, quite, um, I, I feel like, you know, was really, really surprising. So, Voyager 1. Voyager 1, as you know, is the spacecraft we first send into space in further outer space. Voyager 1 sends strange signals from beyond the solar system. Scientists are confused. So this is the title. So the Voyager 1 was spending 45 years traversing, uh, traversing the solar system. So that's a really long time. Uh, so was launched in 1977, passed into what scientists call interstellar space in 2012, and just kept going. The spacecraft is now 14.5 billion miles or 23.3 billion kilometers away from Earth. Uh, and while Voyager 1 is still operating properly, this is interesting, Scientists on the mission recently noticed that is appear uh, confused about his location in space without going into safe mode or otherwise sounding an alarm. And now I'm quoting some, somebody. A mystery like this is sort of pair uh, for the course of this stage of the Voyager mission, a project manager for Voyager 1 says. The spacecraft are both almost 45 years old. They talk about Voyager 2 as well, which is far beyond what the mission planners anticipated. We're also in, in interstellar space, a high radiation environment that no spacecraft have flown in before. The glitch has to do with the Voyager 1 attitude articulation and control system. Uh, which keep the spacecraft and its antenna in the proper orientation. Uh, and um, this attitude articulation and control system, AACS, seems to be working just fine since the spacecraft is receiving commands, action uh, on them, and then sending science data back to Earth with the same signal strength as usual. Um, Nevertheless, the AACS is sending the spacecraft handler junk telemetry data. The agency says that Voyager personnel will continue to investigate the issue and attempt to either fix or adapt to it. That's a slow process since a signal from Earth currently takes 20 hours and 33 minutes to reach Voyager 1. Receiving the spacecraft response carry the same delay. Uh, there are some big challenges for the engineering team, but I think there is a way to solve this issue with the ASCS. Our team will found it. So basically, 
after the um, spacecraft got in interstellar inter, uh, uh, space, uh, it's having trouble orientating in space. Like uh, it doesn't really know where, like to point the antenna, you know, it has the antenna which receives data and send data towards, uh, towards our planet. And um, this is the problem. The spacecraft doesn't seem to figure out where it is in space. It is a little bit strange why it can figure it out. Because I'm guessing the position, you know, of the stars and everything should be quite the same. So either the spacecraft, maybe it's crossing. Maybe it's crossing. I'm just saying this. Uh, uh, a high radiation field or maybe in interstellar space is something else out there which we don't know about it and it's impossible for us to find out because keep in mind uh, uh, what is around our sun yeah in the sphere around our sun is mostly emitted by sun but out there outside the magnetic uh, field of our sun uh, could be something else as well as you know when Voyager uh, just get uh, almost at the time to go get out from the bubble of the sun, there was all this radiation from outer space hitting the sun radiation. So uh, it's really interesting, this stuff. So we'll see if they're going to fix it because, to be honest, even in today's technology, it's really hard. And I, I haven't seen any, let's say... Uh, uh, idea the moment to send another spacecraft but just straight into interstellar space to gather data so it's nothing at the moment so we have to just get what we receive from voyager 1 and voyager 2 okay let's move on another uh, news distant galaxy isn't a galaxy at all but one of the brightest pulsar ever detected uh, so the pulsar is 10 times brighter than any other outside our galaxy. A speck of light that scientists once wrote of a distant galaxy may actually be the brightest pulsar ever detected outside the Milky Way. So name PCRG0523-7125, okay, and located about... 160,000 light years from Earth in the large Magellanic cloud, Magellanic cloud, a satellite galaxy that orbit the Milky Way. Interesting. The newly defined pulsar is twice as wide as any other pulsar in the region, and 10 times brighter than any a known pulsar beyond our galaxy. The object is so big and bright, in fact, that researchers originally interpreted as a faraway galaxy. However, now research published in May suggests that this is not the case. So, using the Australian Square Kilometer Array Pathfinder, ASKAP, radio telescope in Western Australia, the study authors look at the space through a special pair of sunglasses. Sunglasses, yeah, they 
sunglasses with uh, natural sunglasses that block all wavelengths of light except for a specific type of emission associated with pulsar uh, uh, the highly magneti mag magnetized husk of stars when this pulsar show up bright and clear in the result the team realized they weren't looking at the galaxy at all but at the pulsing corp of a dead star so this it is uh, this is uh, actually a really interesting uh, stuff because keep in mind pulsars are highly magnetized uh, rapidly spinning remnants of exploded star this is what we think there so as they rotate stream of radio waves or erupts from the red pole pulsing like lighthouse beam of those radio waves flash towards earth so it's really interesting because this could not be the only mistake you know astronomers did when they trying to map the sky so actually this thing this pulsar was so bright they uh, take it for a galaxy but actually the pulsar it's keep in mind it's the first time when they see a pulsar outside of our galaxy this big and uh, it's really really interesting especially in the magellanic uh, cloud which i know from my memory i'm saying this now is a lot of um, is a place where a lot of stars uh, get born so it's really really interesting uh, and maybe in the future you know especially when those um, when they're gonna go deep in the space and they're gonna take again maybe even with the james webb telescope uh, all these the distant galaxy maybe they come out as pulsar as well because pulsar seems to be some really really interesting uh, objects in our night sky and keep in mind like i said uh, uh, they rotate which is very important and they stream radio waves and also they are very highly magnetized they have a powerful magnetic field so it's very very interesting and we'll see in the future you know if we can find more of these bigger ones maybe we can find really big ones okay uh, another uh, news about science in uh, outer space astronomers find hidden trove of massive black holes so newfound black holes in dwarf galaxies shed light on the origin of our galaxy's supermassive black hole interesting uh, a giant spiral galaxy the milky way is believed to have been built up from mergers of many smaller dwarf galaxies for example the magellanic clouds seen in the southern sky are dwarf galaxies that will merge into the milky way each dwarf that falls in may bring with it a central massive black hole 10 of hundreds of thousands of times the mass of our sun potentially destined to be swallowed by the milky way central supermassive black hole but how often dwarf galaxy contain a massive black hole is unknown leaving a key gap in our understanding of how black holes and galaxy grow together so 
new research published in the in this journal helped to fill this gap by revealing that massive black holes are many times more common in dwarf galaxies than previously thought. So black holes are typically detected when they are actively growing by ingesting gas and stardust swirling around them, which make them glow instantly. Um, the problem is while growing black holes with uh, distinctive high energy radiation, young newborn stars uh, can too. Traditionally, astronomers have differentiated uh, growing black holes from new stars formation using diagnostic tests that rely on detailed feature of each galaxy visible light when spread into a uh, spectrum like a rainbow. Okay, so Polymera took on the challenge of uh, constructing a new census of growing black holes with attention to both traditional and mixed message type. Uh, she obtained published measure of visible light spectral feature to test for black holes in thousands of galaxies found in two surveys. Uh, these surveys include intra ultraviolet and radio data ideal for studying star formation and they have unusual design. Wherever most astronomical surveys select samples that favor big and bright galaxy resolve and echo are complete inventories of huge volumes of the present day universe in which dwarf galaxies are abundant. So more than 80% of all growing black holes uh, are found in dwarf galaxy uh, belonging to the new type. So, what they are actually trying to say um, is that um, Milky Way is surrounded by dwarf galaxy, but actually Milky Way was uh, on its own this kind of dwarf galaxy, and now what they are finding is that this small dwarf galaxy actually in their center they have a black hole so all of them seem to have in their center a black hole and they believe in the future this dwarf galaxy when they're gonna get absorbed by the milky way and i'm guessing not just our galaxy but other galaxies in space uh, as well uh, the black hole you know is gonna get Com, uh, how to say not combined but let's say eaten but by the bigger one so just put a simple bigger black hole wins so most of as you know already all the galaxy which we can see today have at the center a black hole and now they find data that actually even the smaller one the dwarf galaxy which they believe it's like just stars remain outside or something like that. They actually develop, they have black holes in their center. And this is really, really interesting. The problem is, in my opinion, <clears throat> these are not actually black holes at all. But it's a different uh, object in our night sky, which I'm going to try to explain when after I finish my, my theory. Because... Um, if there are so many, uh, first of all, why there are so many? 
and second of all how these things form and i think with some of my theory about this uh, i can finally explain these things in my way of course keep in mind this is what i'm talking now it's in my way of explaining so now for you to know is like every galaxy out there big small or medium or dwarf or few stars usually it has a black hole was at uh, it's uh, at the center of it and um, this is a really really interesting discovery because this shows that actually these black holes are more common than we previously thought so it's like a very common thing in our universe let's move on uh, now let's go in a little bit of uh, sci-fi so four hostile alien civilization may lurk in the milky way a new study suggests <laughs> okay but earth it's 100 times more likely to be destroyed by an asteroid than invaded by aliens so yes probably we're gonna see an asteroid before the aliens but anyway so the milky way is home to millions and potentially uh, of of potentially habitable planets and uh, approximately four of them may harbor uh, evil <laughs> alien civilizations that would invade earth if they could new research okay uh, shows the new paper with um, has not been yet peer reviewed uh, pose a particular question what are the words that humans could one day contact a hostile alien civilization that's capable of invading our planet? So this paper attempts to provide an estimation of the uh, prevalence of hostile extraterrestrial civilization through an extrapolation of the probability that we as the human civilization would attack or invade an inhabited exoplanet ah, we're gonna attack everything just look at us okay to reach this his estimation um, okay uh, this gentleman first counted the number of countries that invaded other countries between 1915 and 2020 he found that a total of 51 of the world 195 nation had launches uh, some sort of invasion during that period then he weighted each country probability of launching an invasion based on that country percentage of the global uh, military expenditure uh, so according to this model the current odds of uh, humans invading another inhabited planets are 0 0.028 however that probability refers to the current state of human civilization and humans aren't currently capable of interstellar travel okay assuming the frequency of human invasion continue to decline over uh, the that time at the same rate that invasion have declined over the last 50 years an average of minus 1.15 per year according then the human race has a 0.0014 probability of invading another planet when we potentially become an interstellar uh, 
or type 1 civilization like 259 years from now this may sound like very slim odds and it is until you start mu multiplying by its the uh, by the millions of potentially potentially habitable planets in the milky way for his final calculation so he turned to a 2012 paper okay in which researchers predicted as many as 15,785 alien civilization could theoretically share the galaxy with humans. So, what he's trying to say, he took, he checked our history uh, from 1915, if I'm not mistaken, until 2020, yes, and he tried to find the number of um, how uh how people you know behave in this so he find out that uh, 51 nations from our planet invades other invaded in that in this time other nations and seems seems quite a lot to be honest but but to be clear to me this kind of paper doesn't actually uh, reflect the truth in some way and why is that? Because, keep in mind, even if there are other civilizations out there, uh, could be life not like ours. They could be different from us. Every civilization could be different, especially if it's uh, growing and living without any external intervention. I mean about aliens. So we grew as we grew. We were uh, like we had all these wars and all these things to learn, but maybe our other civilization doesn't have these kind of things, you know. Maybe life on their planet developed different. So, in my opinion, this is a little bit not, let's say, real. But it's still interesting to see that people are trying to find this. And um, to be honest, could be hostile civilization, like I said in my past podcast in uh, in our milky way because keep in mind it's such a big ass galaxy and we barely detect couple of planets but we know there are a lot of planets uh, how to say in, uh, each stars has at least one planet so we know there are billions of stars you know so there that means there are billions of planets as well and let me give you a quick a quick observation what I noticed from my my studying uh, a civilization to develop on a planet with just we it's not enough just to find the planet in that you know the habitable zone like we found so far but in my opinion for life to develop on that planet and this is another project I'm working on. Uh, I'm just going to give you like, like a teaser. That planet needs to have a, uh, a big satellite. And why do I say this? Uh, big satellite, I mean like we have the moon. And keep in mind, we are the moon. It's uh, our planet. It's like four billion years old. Yeah. And in my opinion, in the, and in my honest opinion, without the moon, without our satellite, life would not 
be able to develop not here and not on other planets as well and let me give you an example mars mars as we know maybe in the past has some kind of uh, how to say um and I'm going off topic here, but I said I'm going to give you a teaser. Mars, Mars has, let's say, water in past. This is what they think. But as you see now, it's everything dried out. And let me tell you why. In my opinion, this is because it was missing the satellite. And why is that? Because that big satellites affect the core of the planet. And with this, I'm, I'm saying it all. So without a big satellite, not just the planet is enough to be in the habitable zone. I, in my opinion, life could not develop. Okay, so let's move on. Because I went off topic and uh, this, I said I'm supposed to say uh, when I finish my theories. Okay, uh, physicists just rewrote a foundational rule for nuclear fusion reactor that could unleash twice the power so fusion reactors could generate more power thanks to a reworking of green world law let's see because it's interesting keep in mind fusion power green energy so let's see future fusion reaction inside uh, tokamaks could produce much more energy than previously thought thanks to groundbreaking research that found a uh, foundational law for such reactors was wrong. The research, okay, uh, has determined that the maximum hydrogen fuel density is about twice the green wall limit, an estimate derived from experiments more than 30 years ago. The discovery that fusion reactors can actually work with hydrogen plasma density that are much higher than the green wall limit, they are built for uh, for will influence the operation of the massive i-tiered tokamak being built in southern france and okay I, I went off topic what is this okay demonstration power plant fusion reactors okay so future fusion let me understand because it's a little bit tricky donuts donut shape Tokamaks are the ones of the most promising design for nuclear fusion reactor that could one day be used to generate electricity for power grids. Scientists have worked for more than 50 years to make control fusion a, a reality. Unlike nuclear fusion, which makes energy from smashing apart very large atomic nuclei, nuclear fusion could generate even more energy by joining very small nuclei together. Okay, the same process powers stars like the sun, which is why control fusion is likening it to a star in a jar, just because the very high pressure of the heart of the star isn't feasible on Earth. Fusion reaction down here requires temperature hotter than the sun to operate. Okay, so let me just quickly, quickly explain what it is because i was lost for a couple seconds there what they are trying to do they because i saw this uh, article on my news feed, uh, my news feed they, what they are trying to do actually they are trying to change the way uh, how to implement plasma in the in the reactor so they are were trying a way to put plasma and with high uh, temperature to make 
you know, nuclei of the atom fusion together. But actually, they seem to be like a different way where plasma, um, how to say it, it's in kind of a donut. So what a donut means, let me tell you exactly, because this is showing so much what I'm trying to prove. And I'm going to say from my theory again, rotation, very important thing in our life, which we don't even realize this phenomenon of rotation. And in donut, actually, the plasma, what is doing is going around. So this is what they are trying to do with more. They are trying to use a lot more hydrogen and in the new shape to make this reactor works and could be really interesting because in my opinion we really need we need this energy you know this energy which only our sun can produce at the moment but um, it's it's harder but i think they try to figure out what is is needing and in my opinion is need is needing just this simple phenomenon of rotation and i'm gonna get in the future more into this but it seems like we're on the right path and soon i hope no more than 50 years at least we can have a couple of these because we really need a lot of energy and keep in mind i did say our sun emits a lot of energy as well and we can gather that one as well but to have this kind of energy on our planet is could be like groundbreaking for us you know we can do so much more with this but we'll see how this goes we'll see um is nothing set yet so we'll see if their uh, their new approach it's better than the last one okay uh let me just move this here let's see planets of binary stars as possible homes for alien life. So, nearly half of sun-sized stars are binary, according to a university research. Uh, since the only known planet with life is ours, okay, orbit the sun, uh, planetary system around stars of similar size are obviously target for astronomers trying to locate extraterrestrial life. Of course, it's it's quite normal. Now, nearly every second star in that category is a binary star. A new result from uh, research uh, of this university indicate that planetary systems are formed in a very different way around binary stars than the around single stars such as the Sun. Very interesting. So the new discovery has been made based of, of, on observation made by the ALMA telescope in Chile of a young binary star around 1000 light years from Earth. Not far, that's good. The binary system NGC 1333-IRAS2A man, these names, is surrounded by a disk consisting of gas and dust. The observation can only provide researches which, uh, with a snapshot from a point in the evolution of the binary star system. However, the team have complemented the observation with computer simulation uh, reaching both backwards and forward in times. So, notably, the movement of gas and dust uh, does not follow a continuous pattern. At some point in time, typically for a relatively short period of 10 or 100 years, every 1000 years, the movement become very strong. 
So the binary star become 10 to 100 times brighter until it returns to its regular state. So presumably the, the cyclic pattern can be explained by the duality of the binary stars. The two stars in cycle each, each other uh, and that given intervals they joint gravity will affect the surrounding gas and dust uh, disk in a way which causes huge amount of material to fall towards the star. So the observed stellar system is too young for planets to have formed. The team hopes to obtain more observation at the ALMA, allowing to investigate the formation of planetary system. So this is interesting because what they are trying to say is that, you know, in our solar system, some people say, and in my opinion as well, like Jupiter could be a failed star. But our system form mostly around our sun. And what they are trying to find now is uh, in binary system with two stars which are uh, orbiting each other, the planets and life could develop very, very different. And why they are trying to explain that, you know, at some point the stars is like maybe they are closer to each other or, uh, you know, all this attraction between them uh, affects the... Um, dust which is surrounding them in a very strange way and in my opinion from what I understand here this could actually uh, accelerate the formation of a planet or maybe could mean because like they said a lot of uh, material falls into this star and become brighter maybe is not so beneficial for life or but as you see and especially now our planet, we found life forms like where on the bottom of the ocean when where the, you know, the, how do you say, the vul vulcans, no, the eruption of the, uh, of uh, lava, it's happening. So we found life forms there. So life could be really strange on different, uh, different, you know, systems, but still. It's very, and this, in my opinion, is quite close, 1,000 light years away, so it's quite close, but it's still early, so we can't see the planets. But if we live long enough on Earth, we can maybe observe more of this system. So we can understand how, um, how the, um, how planets and life could form on a binary uh system you know but i think mostly now we need to focus on like our sun because our sun it's like the proof that this is possible so we should focus on uh, like solar system uh, uh, copies out there and see if we can found any let's say and we can spot any kind of uh, uh, I don't know, radio signal or anything from other civilization. But it's not that easy, like I explained in one of my uh, past episodes. Okay, another interesting uh, news. Warp drives experiments to turn atoms invisible could finally test Stephen Hawking's most famous prediction. Hmm, so the unruh effect had been predicted half a century let's see because this is uh, very very interesting 
So a new warp speed system experiment could finally offer an indirect test of famed physicist Stephen Hawking's most famous prediction about, about black holes. A new proposal suggests that by nudging an atom to become invisible, scientists could catch a glimpse of the ethereal quantum glow that envelops objects traveling at, uh, close to the speed of light. The glow effect, uh, called the Unruh, the fully envious Unruh, this is how the scientists discovered effect, caused the space <clears throat> around rapidly accelerating objects to seemingly be filled by a, a swarm of virtual particles, bathing those objects in a warm glow. As the effect is closely, closely related to the Hawking effect, in which virtual particles known as Hawking radiation spon spontaneously pop up at the edge of black hole, scientists have been eager to spot one of, uh, hint of the other existence. But spotting either effect is incredibly hard. Hawking radiation only occurs around the terrific uh, precipice of a black hole and achieving the acceleration needed for the Unruh effect would probably need a warp drive. Now, a groundbreaking new proposal could change that. The, its authors say that they uncover a mechanism, mechanism to dramatically boost the strength of the Unruh effect through a technique that can effectively turn matter invisible. So now at least we know there is a chance in our lifetime where we might actually see this effect. Okay, it's, it's, it is a hard experiment and there is no guarantee that we'll be able to do it, but this idea is our nearest hope. Okay, so first proposed in 1970, the Unruh effect is one of the many predictions to come out of quantum field theory. According to this theory, there is no such thing as empty vacuum. Interesting. In fact, any pocket of space is crammed with endless quantum scale vibration that, if given sufficient energy, can spontaneously erupt into particle-antiparticle pairs that almost immediately annihilate each other. And any uh, uh, any any and any particle, be matter of light, is simply a localization, localization uh, excitation of this quantum field. In 1974, Stephen Hawking predicted that the extreme gravitational force felt at the edge of black hole, the event horizon, would also create virtual particle. Hmm. So gravity, according to Einstein, okay, distorts space-time. So the quantum field get more warp the closer they get to the immersed gravitational tug of a black hole singularity. Because of the uncertainty and worthiness of quantum mechanics, this warps in quantum field, uh, creating uneven pockets of differently moving time and uh, spikes of energy across the field. It, it is this energy mismatch that could make virtual particles emerge from what appears to be nothing at the fringe of black holes. So black holes are believed not to be entirely black. Yes, I know this. Uh, okay, somebody said, instead of Stephen Hawking described, black holes should emit radiation. Uh, much like much like Hawking effect, the Unruh effect also creates virtual particles through the weird mel melding of quantum mechanics and the relativistic effects predicted by Einstein. But this time, instead of distortioning 
being caused by black hole and the theory of generativity, they come from near light speed and special relativity, which dictates that time around slower the closer an object gets to the speed of light. Mm. Mm. Okay, according to quantum theory, a stationary atom can only increase its energy by waiting for a real photon to excite one of its electrons to accelerate to accelerate to an accelerating atom however fluctuation in the quantum field can add up to look like real photons from an accelerating atom perspective it will be moving through a crowd of worm like particle which all which heats up this heat would be a tailgate sign of the Unruh effect but the acceleration required to produce the effect are far beyond the power of any existing particle accelerator. Uh, an atom would need to accelerate at the speed of light in less than a millionth of a second, experience a g-force of a quadrillion meter per second to produce a glow hot enough for current detector t to spot. Hmm. Quantum fluctuations are made denser by photons, which means that an atom made to move through a vacuum while being hit by light from a high-intensity laser could, in theory, produce the Unruh effect, even at fairly small acceleration. The problem, however, is that the atom could also interact with the last laser light, hmm. observing it to raise the atom energy level, producing heat that would drown out the heat accelerated by the Unruh effect. But the uh, research found yet another workaround, a technique they call acceleration-induced transparency. If the atom is forced to follow a very specific path to the field of photons, the atom will not be able to see the photons of the certain frequency, making them, making them essentially invisible to the atom. So by daisy-chaining all this workout, the team would be able to test for the Uru effect at this specific frequency of light. Okay. Okay. If you lost me there, I had to read as well to understand a little bit. And um, what they are actually trying to do, they are trying to go around a lot of theories to see if an atom can become actually invisible, uh, to travel uh, faster than the speed of light. So. But this seems only to be able at, um, how to say, at, uh, not at any kind of radiation, at a very specific wavelength, wavelength of light. So it, it's not, how to say, like all light, all radiation, what we see there. And um, I'm guessing for this, they need another... Um, a bigger, uh, you know, uh, a, a bigger collider. But the one in Geneva, from what I'm seeing, is not enough. But uh, as I said before, maybe this is not the path, you know, to go. Because we have, like they said here, we can maybe observe these uh, effects at the edge of black holes. So maybe we should find a black hole which is close to us and just send there a few a bigger telescope in space and try to find uh, find data there instead of bigger 
in, instead of building bigger uh, colliders on our planet because it's gonna it's gonna be really hard really hard this but i don't know it seems like you know everything starts from a theory some theories are good some theories are just waste but until it's proven wrong everything could could be a reality so we'll see if they ever be able to to make an atom invisible so basically just uh, just like you know accelerate that atom beyond the speed of light but it seems like it's really it's really difficult from what i i've read in this article and we'll see uh, it's only in the beginning so we'll see we'll see okay another news temperature colder than space achieved here on earth using superconducting x-ray uh, laser Ooh. so a half mile long tunnel under menlo park california just became colder than most of the universe S <clears throat> using the x-ray free electron laser of the Dep uh, okay department of energy accelerator laboratory okay a scientist chilled liquid helium to minus 456 degrees fahrenheit so minus 271 degrees celsius or two kelvins that is just two kelvins above absolute zero the coldest possible temperature at which all particle movement sees very interesting that frosty environment is crucial for the accelerator because at such low temperature the machine becomes superconducting meaning can boost electron through it with just about zero energy loss so even empty region of space aren't this cold as they are still filled with the cosmic microwave background radiation as we know what they think is after the big bang uh, that has a uni uniform temperature of minus 454 Fahrenheit or minus uh, 271 uh, Celsius or 3 Kelvin. So, actually, empty space it's like 3 Kelvin uh, hot, and they achieve to cool on Earth at 2 Kelvins because at zero, any movement ceases, which is very, very interesting. Uh, so this is the one of the last uh, milestones that LCLS2 needs to achieve before it can only go to produce X-ray pulses that are on average 10 times brighter than those created by its predecessor. This would should help the researchers to probe complex material in unprecedented details. The high-intensity, high-frequency laser pulses enable research to see how electrons and atoms in material interact with uh, unprecedented clarity uh, so this is really really interesting so actually what they are trying to do they are trying to achieve this temperature at really cold really cold like colder than space and to see how uh, part particle interact so for helium it's very much the same at atmospheric pressure helium will boil at 4.2 kelvin however this temperature will decrease if pressure decrease 
uh, to lower the temperature to 2 Kelvin, we need to have a pressure of just 1 of 30 of atmospheric pressure. To achieve this low, uh, to achieve this low pressure, the team used five cryogenic centrifugal compressor, which compress the helium to cool it and then let it expand in the chamber to lower the pressure, making it one of the few places on Earth where uh, 2 Kelvin helium can be produced on a large scale. So compression. At 2 Kelvin, helium becomes a superfluid called helium-2 that has extraordinary properties. For instance, it conducts heat hundreds of times more efficiently than copper, Ooh, and it has such low viscosity or resistance to flow that uh, this can be measured, he added. Very interesting. So actually at this very low pressure, what they are trying to find, they are trying to find different properties. And um, at low pressure, seems like properties of some of the materials we know, like helium, some of the material, the properties change, like you, you heard me saying, it's better conducting than copper. So we'll see how they get on with different materials. Maybe they find, you know, like the, they find this material which are, how to say, uh, have different properties at different temperature and maybe could be brought into real life application, which can make our life uh, better, let's say. <clears throat> okay, one which I I thought is funny because sometimes you know I like to laugh as well, but uh, you know it's just uh, it's just for me. Listen to this: China is looking for other Earth to con colonize. <laughs> if it gets funding, the telescope could launch as soon as 2026. So China has announced its first plan to search. Uh, the stars for nearly habitable planets that could one day expand humanity living space across the Milky Way. Okay, so in this project, official proposed launching a 3.9 foot aperture, 1.2 meters space telescope, roughly uh, 1.5 mi uh, kilometers, sorry, uh, away. Uh, way uh, so to a gravitational stable Lagrange point where it's actually the James Webb between Earth and the Sun, according to Chinese. Uh, okay, uh, once the L2 Lagrange point, which is also okay, the chess telescope will spend five years searching for habitable worlds across the roughly 100 sun like stars within the 33 light years. 10 parsec of Earth. From this data, astronomers hope to spot Earth-sized exoplanets that are moving around their stars it's, uh, in similar orbits to our own, a clue that Earth point 2 may harbor water uh, or even life. It's really, really interesting that the Chinese are investing in discovering other planets in space. Keep in mind, we have, like uh, I said in my um, aliens and uh, podcast, we have a planet really close to us. It's um, in Alpha Centauri, Proxima uh, B, if I'm not mistaken, Proxima B, yes, uh, a planet as well. So that could be as well livable. But I think at the moment they are um, looking a little bit too far away for this. Um, 
in my opinion, I think we have in our solar system quite few planets which, in my opinion, we can live on. And uh, I'm, I'm happy they sent another telescope to space, but I think it's quite small, this aperture of just 1.2 meters. I, I, like I said, I... I want to see bigger bloody telescope in space, like bigger. But it's funny that, uh, in my opinion, I find funny that China is looking for others. Maybe they are, I don't know. Keep in mind, China is one of the biggest uh, population on our planet after India. No, China is first, then India. Uh, I hope I'm right. These things change like every year. But I'm pretty sure China is first. And they have a lot of, uh, how to say, a lot of cheaper lab uh, labor work, you know, and I'm glad to see they are getting into this space uh, space discoveries. But um, I I I think their plan is interesting. But I think we have better planets in our solar system, or maybe they found they build their own um, how to say warp drive, and we don't know about it, and they plan to travel further distance but still <laughs> uh, it's interesting okay let's let's hear about uh, the last news of today because uh, I was talking for quite some time now and I don't want to you know to bore you to death I'm just trying to keep it uh, you know like lightly which I'm pretty sure is not. So let's talk about last one because in last one I also want to make a little bit of side story of my own. So what are coronal mass ejection? So a coronal mass ejection, which is called CME, is a vast cloud of electrically charged particle from the sun, upper atmosphere, or corona that heated to enormous temperature and launch via a huge burst of speed by the energy released in a solar flare. These hot blobs of plasma can have spectacular effect on planets that lie in their path. And why CME uh, don't present a direct threat to life on Earth, they can potentially damage the technology on which human society relies. Uh, so CME can cause geomagnetic storms upon the arrival in the near-Earth environment. Um, CME originate from the same process that creates solar flares. They form when a huge, huge loop of the sun magnetic field pushing out through the visible surface of the photosphere become pinched together near its base and suddenly reconnects at the lower level. This uh, process uh, liberates a huge amount of excess energy in the form of high energy electromagnetic radiation and also heats up the gases the gases around the reconnaissance sites sometimes to a temperature of 36 million fahrenheit or 20 million degrees celsius or more these uh, given particles around the site including those in new isolated loop of magnetic field above of a massive boost of speed and energy producing a huge bubble of expanding uh, hot gas that escape from the sun gravitational pull and race out across space. CME can travel at speeds of hundreds of 
of miles per second, the fastest and most energetic may take less than a day to reach Earth orbit, but an average may take about 84 hours according to National, uh, National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration. So here are uh, a list of semi-launch by the sun in 2020. Okay, let's see. In 2020. Ooh, so on May 31, duration 3 hours, 732 miles per second or 1,100 kilometers per second, maximum velocity. On May 30, duration 2 hours, 84 miles per second, 136 kilometers per second. On May 30, duration 2 hours. Okay, so we had May 30. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, May 29, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, May 28, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, holy moly, this is so many, so, okay, so coronal mass ejection, as you know, are those spirals, what you, I don't know, maybe you saw, if you ever see some kind of documentary about uh, sun, which are looking like, uh, how, how to say it, like um, material which is bended, you know, which is looking like a hole, a small hole. I, uh, it's like, a, uh, like, you know, from the alphabet, the, the letter U, you know. So this is what are coronal mass ejection, and it's just plasma, really hot plasma. Why I said I keep this last to talk about it? Um, to be honest, in the latest months, and I think I talked about this in my last podcast as well, our sun seems to become a little bit more active. And for me, this is a little bit worrying because, as I said, our sun is our protector, but can also be our destroyer. Please keep in mind, our sun is packing so much energy and so much uh, mass that our planet is like a speck of dust. You know very well, it's our planet is 1000 times smaller than our sun. So our planet is like, not don't even matter to the sun, you know. But uh, in, in my opinion, <clears throat> Like I said before, these days were so dependent on electricity, and this uh, coronal mass ejection and solar flares can really affect our uh, technology. And as I said, I know some government took some kind of building stronger generators, you know, and all these things. And uh, but I see. Day by day, our technology, our phones, our cars, our everything works on electricity. And keep in mind, if one of these hits of a really powerful one in our uh, magnetic field can't take care of it, you know, can't uh, protect us, we might lose a lot of from our technology. It's like a EMP, uh, you know, like a EMP explosion. And you know, like the atomic bomb creates EMP as well. If you didn't know that, uh, 
I'm telling you that. But uh, these uh, solar flares are a, a real dangers to uh, to us, and I think we should take sh we should be really careful because could be a more dangerous than the asteroids. Because keep in mind on asteroids. I know it's it's kind of late now, but still we are working on finding ways to deflect an asteroid. But at the moment we have no idea how to deflect, or at least you know to get a better protection from a solar flare. And we can uh, get thrown really in the Stone Age, like some people discuss. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but keep in mind if everything fails, like. I'm not talking just Facebook and this Gmail on all this communication. But keep in mind, you will not be able to call your your friends. You will not be able to call your family. The fabrics could stop because all the machinery, it's burned or it can't work without electricity. So then we'll have riots, we'll have food, food shortage, we'll have fuel shortage, everything, everything, uh, you know what. The worst things and i think we should take this really serious and be careful and try to find a plan as well like we have a plan to deflect asteroids yeah and meteorites to have a plan to protect ourselves from the sun yes i heard some things like they can give notice and you can turn off all electricity and or they can cut out electricity you know the energy company they can cut out electricity boom but still, I don't know if it's enough, you know. So I'm really curious to see how this goes in the future. Um, I wish I had more time, you know, but I'm working quite... I'm working a little bit and lately I took some other stuff to do. But I really want to, to finish some of my ideas because uh, I think what I'm trying to say about some of my findings and understandings are quite simple and I think could be applied really, really easy if we just, you know, understand them. And um, yes, this is my my goal now, to finish my theory and then try to share it out there. Maybe everything is wrong, maybe some things are good or, and we can learn from there to become better as a not just a society but become better as uh, human beings you know this is what i'm trying i want to see in the future we humans be, uh, be able to go to travel in space and go out there and build a bigger society not just here on earth and not to have all this problem we have today i know this problem what we have today are good for some people because they are making a lot of money and maybe they don't want to move forward but for the rest of us i think um, these things needs to move forward to have a better understanding of uh, what's out there and how can this improve our future and especially for the next generation to come behind us so i hope you enjoy my my podcast especially this format with the news type as i told you and i i try to explain i'm reading the news and then i i take my understanding of it and i hope maybe you enjoy it 
as you see I'm, I'm trying you know my english i'm trying to get better out there if i would do it in my language you know it would be like not so well spread and that's why i'm trying to do it in english to get a lot more people to see what is happening out there or maybe just to you know fill their time because i know most of the people listen to this when when i don't know they are traveling or they don't they have spare time uh hope you enjoy it and um i i really wish you know i can hear from some of you keep in mind i do have a facebook page world of daniel 2 if you put on facebook world of dan world of daniel 2 my page would appear i'm usually streaming on that page but you are welcome there to come and comment about the podcast um and um i'll see if i if i'm able to finish part of my theory i'll try to do a podcast end of also a youtube video and uh until then i'm gonna try to make another episode until the next uh news in science because i feel like maybe i should do something between it's quite some time every every month so uh, i hope to to do another episode soon until then i wish you the best stay safe out there and keep in mind uh all what we do is for the best and hope our future becomes better thank you very much for listening to me i'll we'll hear each other next time thank you